Morning, CF. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in, logging on, jumping in with us this morning. Uh, today, as we celebrate our fourth week in Advent, we have uh, service is going to look a little different this morning. We're going to do things a little different today. And part of that is because, you know, this season, for any number of different reasons, it has been, I think, hard or harder for us to get into the Christmas spirit, to feel some of that joy and excitement and just fun of what this time of year brings. And so our hope for this morning is that we're going to create some space. We're going to create some space in our minds, in our souls, in our hearts to give space to God, to let him do what he does and fan that flame of excitement as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. And so this morning we're going to pray. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to open up that dialogue with God. We're going to pray and spend time connected with him. We're going to read God's word. We're going to let God's word do what it does. The living, breathing word of God is going to enliven us. Psalm 19, David says that God's word is perfect for reviving the soul. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read a lot of scripture and hear from God's word. And as the very great Buddy the Elf once said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And so we're going to sing. And we're going to sing songs that are saturated in the gospel and declare the goodness of our God. Some of our songs, we're going to have the lyrics up the whole time. Some of our songs, we're going to sing along with you. Some of the songs, we're just going to let uh, the music play, and you can sing at home. Um, Melody's going to be playing. We encourage you to sing. Um, As we get going, a couple of announcements before we start. Uh, We are going to have our community groups are going to be taking a break for the holiday season, so uh, we have some time as as people are doing parties and FaceTimes and all that. We're going to take a break on community groups as well as the Tuesday Bible study. Um, But this Sunday, tonight, actually, tonight, 6 o'clock, Jump online with us on Zoom for our Cocoa Couch Christmas Carol extravaganza um, as we are going to get together to sing uh, some Christmas carols led by different talented musicians and their families throughout our church. Uh, And the great thing is that there's a mute all button. So don't worry about musical talent. Don't worry about that. You just get to turn on, the, turn on the, uh, your computer and join in. We're going to laugh. We're going to sing together. It's going to be a great time tonight at 6. If you didn't get the Zoom link we sent out last week or yesterday, that's because we don't have your email. So leave your email in the comments uh, if you want to join in with us so you can uh, have, some, have some fun with us tonight at 6 o'clock. So um, we're excited about that. I'm excited to worship with you this morning. Let's pray, and we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to celebrate you, to worship you, to enjoy you. God, you are good, and you're good all the time. You're good even in the mess of a pandemic kind of year. And no matter what's going on, no matter what, how we're coming in this morning, no matter how we've come into this season of Advent, this season is here. We're days away from that day where we remember when your goodness, your love, your grace and mercy was fulfilled in sending your Son. Lord, as we worship you this morning, We pray that you would be glorified, that you would be made made much of, that our worship to you would be a sweet aroma. God, we thank you and praise you for all that you are, all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you're going to do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Join us as we sing.
Genesis 3 tells us this, so that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. A promise from God. A promise of one singular entity, one set apart one, one Messiah who would come to go to war with Satan, who would come to restore the order that was lost in the garden on that day. The first time that the gospel is preached is by God himself to Satan to tell him, this is how things are going to play out for you. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see God give us these glimpses, give us these reminders that he hadn't forgotten, he hadn't deviated from the plan. He's still with us, he's still sending one. And he continuously reveals to the people who this Messiah would be, including the family he would come from. It's often referred to as the line of promise. It starts with Abraham in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A promise that the Messiah would come from the seed of Abraham. Later on, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. Each of them and their families would go on to be the 12 tribes of Israel. And as Jacob is getting older, he's blessing his sons. And he says in Genesis 49 to his son Judah, he says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. God again telling us that yes, the Messiah is going to come as a descendant of Abraham. He'll come from the tribe of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah, we also get the greatest king that Israel ever knew. The warrior poet, David. The slayer of giants. The one who unites the people. And again, as David is getting older in his life, God makes a covenant with David. He tells him in 2 Samuel 7, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Through Abraham, through the tribe of Judah, through a descendant of David, because his family, his lineage, would have the throne forever. And later on, the prophet Isaiah echoes this same idea in Isaiah 11. It says in Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with his breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. A promise to Abraham that his offspring would bring about a Messiah, that his offspring would bless the world. A promise continued generation after generation through the tribe of Judah, through the family of Jesse, through the bloodline of Jesus, through the bloodline of David, a Messiah would come. And we see this laid out for us in Matthew 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, and Jeconiah, and the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azer, and Azer, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathon, and Mathon, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called Christ. One who would be a greater prophet than any prophet who came before him. One who would lead his people out of slavery like Moses did with the Israelites in Egypt. One who would be a warrior and a leader like Joshua who would save his people. 42 generations from the promise to the fulfillment. God was faithful. The people waited and God kept his promise. And on that night in that stable, a baby boy lays in a manger. And the whole world was changed. Let's sing.
Not only was the bloodline of Jesus declared via prophecy, but even his location and the circumstances of his birth were made known hundreds of years before he would arrive. The prophet Micah writes in Micah 5, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to me among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. We know from Matthew 2, It says in Matthew's Gospel that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, God was giving us these prophecies, giving us these moments, these glimpses, and along the way, narrowing down, whittling down who it would be that this Messiah could be. And we see in Isaiah 7.14, we get the prophecy of all prophecies, the one that eliminates everybody else from the board. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know from the good Dr. Luke's gospel, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, born of a virgin in a tiny town of little consideration. The fulfillment of the promise, the hope of humanity. On that day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord was born. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This baby, born to two nobodies from the middle of nowhere, is the counselor, is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Son who would be given by the Father to save us from our sins. He is Jesus the Christ the Savior of the world.
throughout Advent, we have been looking at the different psalms that carry with them a prophetic word to who Jesus would be, looking to his arrival and even to his second coming, which we still wait for. And in the psalms, we also find prophecies about Jesus, about what his ministry would look like, about how he would live, even how he would teach. His ability and his desire to teach in parables in Psalm 78 David talks about teaching in parables, which we know Jesus did often, especially like in places like Matthew 13. This year as well, I know it feels like maybe three years ago, but it was this year we studied 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone, the cornerstone that the builders had rejected. Because Jesus was rejected by the Pharisees, by the scribes, by the people who knew better. And this idea, this quote from Psalm 118 is something Peter clung on to because not only did he quote it in 1 Peter, but he, he quotes it as he is preaching in Acts 4 as he has been arrested. He and others have been arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. He preaches to the Pharisees. He preaches to the scribes and he tells them in Acts 4 this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Over and over, we see in the Psalms these different points, these different ways in which David, writing prophetically, writing with this idea of the Messiah in mind, we see how Jesus would live and who he would be. And if we're going to talk about the Psalms and we're going to look at Jesus in the Psalms, you've got to eventually get your way to Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 is full of references, not only not to his life, not to his birth, not to his ministry, but to his death. The opening words of Psalm 22, Jesus himself quotes as he hangs on the cross, dying for our sins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm goes on in verse 7 to talk about those who would mock Jesus, even predicting the words the crowds would yell to Jesus as he died, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. The psalm even speaks to the thirst that Jesus experiences on the cross, and as he dies, he is offered a dirty sponge full of sour wine. It talks about the piercings of his hands and his feet as he hangs on a cross, the dividing of his garments and the casting of lots for them. See, Christ's suffering was not an accident. It was not happenstance. It was not right place, right time. It was not dumb luck. It was planned. It was a planned, it was a planned desire by God to send his son. He was the spotless lamb who was offered for us on our behalf as our sacrifice for our sins. The only way he could be that sacrifice for us, the only way he could atone for our sins, was for him to live a perfect, sinless life as a full and complete human, tempted in every which way, but never choosing to sin. It's his humanity which allows him to go to the cross for us to be our sacrifice in our place. There's one final Old Testament, New Testament connection that I want to leave us with this morning. In Numbers 21, Moses is leading God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And as they go along, they begin to complain. They complain about the lack of food, the lack of water. They complain their feet hurt. How many more miles? Why would you take us away from Egypt? They begin to complain and they begin to resent Moses for leading them out. They even begin to resent God himself for bringing them out of Egypt. Why don't we go back? Why don't we just go back to Egypt? At least there we had food. 
Let us go back and die in Egypt, they would say. And all of the hatred, all of the resentment, the bickering, the fighting that they caused, God eventually sends a punishment to them. He sends snakes into their camp. And the people got bit. Some of them got sick. Some even died. Christmas is Friday. And on Friday, we are going to celebrate and rejoice. Yes, it's going to look different. But we're going to celebrate and rejoice because right now we sit in anticipation at the chance that we're going to have to be able to give and receive gifts. A reminder of the greatest gift that was ever given. God giving us his son who would die for us. On Christmas, we're going to have time to connect with our loved ones, even if it's through a screen, through FaceTime. But it's a reminder to us that God loves community. He loves when we are in relationship with one another. He has made us to be in relationship with others. And my hope is that even if just for a few moments on Christmas, you're going to have a chance to sit and take a good deep breath next to the Christmas tree and find even just a few brief moments of rest. A reminder that God offers to us eternal rest through his son Jesus. See, while this Christmas season is often portrayed and used to sell things, used for commercial gain, when you strip everything else away, it is a shining light of the grace of God to us through Jesus. Getting back to our story in Numbers, the people are complaining. God sends snakes. People are getting bitten. People are getting sick, even dying. And in Numbers 21, in verse 7, it says, The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at that bronze serpent and live. Our sin, our rebellion, that's on us. We can point fingers like Adam and Eve in the garden. We can shift blame. We can try and minimize it and say it's not such a big deal. It's, it's culturally relevant. But it ultimately, it's our decisions that put us at odds, put us at war with God. But you see, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our rebellion, God makes a way. God gives hope. God gives forgiveness. God gave us Jesus because God makes a way. Jesus was speaking and teaching, and in John 3, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Brothers and sisters, look to the king. Look to the king who is high and exalted, who was lifted up on a cross for you and for me. Look to the one who came as a humble baby boy laid in a manger. Look to the one who was promised from generation to generation. The one who is the fulfillment of God's holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his faithfulness. 
Look to him and believe that Jesus lifted up on a cross, died in your place for your sins so that you might experience the gift of grace and forgiveness and freedom and new life. As we celebrate and enjoy this Christmas season, this Christmas day that is upon us, look to Jesus. Look, and for those who don't know him yet, look and be saved. Look and see that Christ came to die for you. Admit your need for a Savior. Believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and choose to follow him. Choose to let him be your king. Let today, let this year, let though 2020 is a year we are all going to remember, let 2020 be this year, be that year when you look back and say, that was the year that I followed Christ. Let that be the year that I tasted and saw that the Lord was good, that he had what was best in mind for me, that he made me and knows me and loves me so much he sent his son to die for me. And I believe that and I choose to follow him. Look to Jesus high and lift it up and be saved. And for those who are already walking with Jesus, those who are already walking in step with him, pursuing the will of God, look and be reminded that you were saved. Look and be reminded that you were once dead, an alien, trapped, separated from God. That you were once helpless and hopeless, but God stepped in to make a way for you. Look and declare in awesome wonder how great our God is that he sent his son to come to the world to save us from our sins. That's what we celebrate. That's where the joy is found. That's where the hope is found. That's where everything is found in him. And he reveals himself to us over and over again. And he shows his grace and his love and his mercy and his desire to be reconciled, to have a right relationship with us. Something we couldn't do on our own, and so he sent his son. He comes not as this big with pomp pomp and circumstance. He doesn't come reigning and ruling. He comes as a little baby boy. Jesus had to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to live. He had to grow up. He lived a full, complete human life. He set aside his place at the right hand of the Father to come so that he could die for us. He set himself to get himself to the cross. There was nothing that was going to stop him. Nothing was going to get in his way. He was going to make it to that cross on that Friday so that he could die for our sins. We celebrate the arrival of the king because we know that without his arrival, we're still stuck because his arrival means that God keeps his promises. His arrival means there's hope and there's something better coming. And we wait for that day when all will be reconciled, when all will be restored, when the chaos that was started in Genesis 3 will come to an end and we will have peace and rest. And so we celebrate this king who has come to die for us and comes again to reign and rule. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we celebrate. We rejoice in you. God, it's so easy in this world, especially these days, to be distracted and distraught and focus on the loss and the pain and the dark and the hard. But when we go to your word, We see light, we see life, we see hope. And we are reminded that all of those things are found in you and we are reminded that you are still in control of all things all the time. God, help us to, help us to remember. Help us to enjoy. God, for many of us, this story of 
Gabriel and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men. We've heard it over and over again. But God, let us not get cynical. Let us not take it for granted. Give us fresh eyes. Give us fresh hearts. Let it stir within us. Let it do, let the word of God do what it does. Fan the flame of excitement and joy and hope. God, as we celebrate, as we remember your faithfulness being shown to us in Jesus' arrival. God, it reminds us that we long for that day when you will come to restore all things. Give us patience. And God, as we wait, help us to wait well. Help us to wait actively. Help us to wait by being lights in this world. Help us to wait by pointing people toward you in the way that we live, in the way that we are husbands and wives and moms and dads and neighbors and co-workers, brothers and sisters. Help us to live well as we wait well so that we might bring you glory and honor in all that we do. God, we're tired. We're exhausted. I don't know how many times we've cried out, how long, oh Lord, this year. How many different things we have seen, how many different things we've experienced. And Lord, we know that a year for you is, is a blink of a blink of an eye. It's nothing. We know that you're in control and we know that you know that there are, are new days coming. There is hope to be found. There's new life to be found. There's something better on the horizon. God, help us to walk toward that. Help us, as the writer of Hebrews says, to fix our eyes on you. To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we celebrate and we remember the fulfillment of the first advent and we wait in our advent, help us to wait actively with anticipation and with hope-filled hearts knowing that you are going to keep your promises because you always do. Lord, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you that this is the year, this is the time where the Holy Spirit moves, breaks down whatever walls, whatever hindrances, whatever things are in their way, that today would be that day where they come to know you as God and Savior and Father. And for those who have walked with you, Lord, and walk with you, love us, Give us an excitement and a hunger. Help us to rediscover the gospel on a daily basis. Be re-reminded of the helpless state we were in and the hope that is found in you. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen. We're going to take communion now. Um, So if you have your bread, crackers, pretzels, whatever it is you're using. We take communion, and it might seem strange to take communion as we think about the death of Jesus on this Sunday before Christmas when we think of the birth of Jesus. But those things are locked. Those things are tied together. One without the other does us nothing. We can't get to the cross if Jesus doesn't show up. And he's got to live. He's got to show up and live so that we can get to the cross. We need both of these. We need to remember that God's faithfulness brought Jesus to earth. And remember that God's faithfulness and his justice and his love puts Jesus on the cross. And so we take communion and we are remembered. We are reminded of the goodness and the love and the justice of God on display for us in Jesus at the cross. His body actually physically broken for us when he hung on that cross. And that's what the bread represents. Let's eat together.
Our God is a God of covenants. We read a couple of them this morning. The covenant he makes with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a people. He makes a covenant with David and says, I'm going to keep the throne in your family forever. Our God makes covenants. He doesn't make contracts. It's not a do this for me and I'll do this for you. No, it's I'm going to do this for you. And we watch throughout history of the Bible. We watch God makes a covenant. We watch humanity rebel against it. The Israelites rebel against that covenant over and over again, but it doesn't negate the covenant. It's still there. God promised he would send a Messiah, and he did. And that Messiah goes to the cross, and he makes a new covenant, a covenant that is made and written in his blood, a covenant that says it's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about how good you think you are. It's about the holy, perfect righteousness of Jesus. And so as we take and we drink, we are reminded that God is for us and not against us, that he proved his love for us when he sent Jesus to die for us and the new covenant that was made in his blood that gives us eternal life. Let's drink together. Let's have the band come back up. And let's pray. God, you are good. There's none like you, no, not one. Lord, we celebrate and we rejoice in the truth and the grace and the mercy and the hope that we find in Scripture, that we find when we go and we open our Bibles. And it doesn't matter where we open it to because it's all about Jesus and it all points us back to him. It all points us back to this plan that you put in motion to save us from our sins. God, we thank you and we praise you. Holy, holy, holy are you. God, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you're going to do. We pray all of these because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Let's sing.
Thank you, everybody, for worshiping with us this morning. Thank you, Rico family, for leading us in song. Uh, we hope to see you guys tonight, 6 o'clock on Zoom, for some Christmas caroling. Uh, and if you want to give online, you can do so, churchinroscovillage.org slash give. There's all the instructions on different ways you can give, uh, even though we can't be together. So um, Merry Christmas, and I uh, hope to see you guys tonight. Uh, please receive the final blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to smile upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his rest. Go in peace. We'll see you soon.